The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will I'm your host. Can't seem to zoom out. Whatever. Uh, anywho, we got John McGann hired as the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, the second such Philadelphia defensive or coordinator, excuse me, to be hired as a head coach in this coaching cycle. And the second one today. Gannon, the defensive coordinator of the Eagles, joining me to break that down and to do a deep dive into the Super Bowl and some items that we want to cover. Ryan Wilson and John Breach. Hello, fellas. So, Breach, good news for you. Lou Anarumo stays put. That was a big concern of Bengals fans and you in particular, the defensive coordinator who had a great year. He doesn't get a head coaching job, and, you know, maybe that's the best for, for him personally and also for the Bengals. But if you're the Eagles and the Eagles fans, you've now gone from – a bad call away, quotation marks, from winning the Super Bowl or at least having a chance to win the Super Bowl to losing both coordinators. Debo mentioned earlier when Sully and I did the uh, Shane Steichen emergency podcast, now the new uh, new coach in uh, – where is he the coach? Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. Oh, good Lord, can't keep up. <laughs> you're you're literally going to be there in a week and a half, Ryan, in that The city. special teams coach might also be out of a job in Philly for different reasons. So they could have three across the board that they have to reset. How are you feeling if you're Nick Sariani and the Eagles and Eagles fans now that you've got to figure out – um, and they're, they're pot, like Johnson could be called up to be the, the, the OC and people are happy about that quotation marks, but there are things that I feel like are going to be a lot different, uh, starting well right now. Yeah. I mean, it's not a great feeling cause you made it to the super bowl, which is good, but you also get a later start to the off season than everyone else. So there's kind of slim pickings to fill in any job that you need to fill it in, especially, uh, two positions of this significant. So unless you're, uh, promoting from within, and I will throw out a fun fact that the last Super Bowl team to lose both of their coordinators was the 1994 49ers coming off that 49-26 win over the Chargers. They rebounded, uh, still made the playoffs the following season, but they were nowhere near as good. So, Who were the coordinators? Uh, Do you know that? Uh, I want to say Ray Rhodes was one of them. 
Wow. I was going to say, that's old school. I, can't, I don't know if I know any of them. All right, you don't have to look at I don't know if you have to pop your head. You get half the fun fact, but you... Like Shanahan and Ray Rose. There we go. Shanahan was... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah, there you go. Um, this is a fun fact. This is a fun fact. Oh, did uh, Gary Kubiak go with Mike Shanahan originally to Denver? I would assume so. That I don't know. Well, let's see. Who was the, four, who was the coordinator? Oh, wow. Double oh. emergency? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean... Just a fun fact. If you can guess who the guys who replaced them on the 49ers, the 1995 offensive and defensive coordinators for the San Francisco 49ers, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hundred Brinson bucks. Steve Mariucci and D'Amico Ryans. <laughs> it's like not that far off, I guess. <laughs> Any guesses, Breach? Uh, you would think since I brought this fun fact to the podcast that I would have just simply looked that up, and I actually did not. So I don't know. You have no guesses whatsoever. Uh, I can't even think. What is the current other. NFL head coach? Oh man, Zach uh, Taylor. Over. Who's the other one? It's not Zach Taylor. <laughs> Zach Taylor wasn't alive. What uh, is it? It's, it's Mark Tressman and Pete Carroll. Oh. Mark Tressman. Yeah, we, I mean, would not have. Willy Wonka. So you go from Mike Shanahan and Ray Rhodes to Mark Tressman and Pete Carroll. That's wild. That is wild. I never would have guessed that. Like Carroll, I knew was head coach of the Jets and then head coach of the Patriots. I didn't realize his gap year was. Defense coordinator for the yeah. 49ers. Uh, by the way, did you see the picture of Shane Steichen's like family and they, they react like their, the looks of their faces when they took like Urshay tweeted it out? And it's mm. like clearly the first time they've met Jim Urshay and like all both children are like, and the wife is like, <laughs> what you know, it's funny. And this isn't about Urshay and Shane Steichen, but Urshay, rightly or wrongly, has a great track record with hiring head coaches. I mean, Frank Reich. Hey, Jim Brad Caldwell, right. Tony Dungy, and there was one more before that who I can't remember off the top of my head. And then the, the one blip on the radar, of course, was Jeff Saturday. So that's good news for or Josh McDaniels. Well, yeah, he didn't he didn't take the job long enough for it to, to register. But um, at the time, no one hated the hire. So breach Jonathan Gannon's 40, Shane Sykin's 37. Well, I was going to segue there saying uh, the opposite of having a good track record of hiring is the Cardinals. <laughs> right, right. Uh, not a great track record. And here we are. Uh, Jonathan Gannon can, can change that mindset or maybe not. So in 2008, um, I believe I read this, uh, Jonathan Gannon was unemployed and was told somebody who I can't remember who it was, was somebody, his mentor was like, um, you know, you need to go to the college game and, and you know, work and work in college football. And, you know, and, and, and you can sort of work your way up that way. And he's like, no, I want to be in the NFL. So he went and took a job as a college scout with the Rams, uh, then became the pro scout and eventually moved on to be a coach with the Falcons. Then the Titans, Vikings, Colts, where he was uh, for two years. So he has, you know, at, which is a weird, there's like a weird co converse connection between the Colts and the Eagles, all these coaches, like Frank Wright to uh, Nick Sirianni. To now to Shane Steichen, very bizarre. Um, uh, you want to know another bizarre fun fact? I didn't realize till right this second is that Jonathan Gannon had the same job I did in the same game. Uh, he was a student assistant at Louisville. I was a student assistant at Miami, Ohio, and we played them the GMAC Bowl in 2003. So another. So former, he in, wow. in 19 years has shot up to NFL head coach. Me he in 19 years. Yeah, has he done better or worse than you in the last 19 years? He's done better. Ex <laughs> we're in the exact same spot 19 years ago. This is blowing my mind looking at his coaching history. So, Breach, when you, Sean McVay, and Jonathan Gannon get together, um, who, pay, who pays for dinner? <laughs> uh, usually it's me, and then I can't pay my rent for the, or mortgage or whatever for the next three years. All right, Billy, what do you got for Jonathan Gannon? Billy has a fun fact for us. 
What's up, Bird Gang? Jonathan Gannon, your new head coach, Arizona Cardinals. Ready to get to work. Buckle up. We're going to have some fun. Let's ride. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. Um, it's better than less ride. I'll give him that. It's better than less ride. I'm not going to make fun of any of these uh, coaches there. For By that. the way, Brian Dable drove his truck to work his first little social media thing, and that was sort of hokey, but he was right. Um, and uh, remember uh, Nick Sirianni's press conference, you told talking about like rock, paper, scissors, and people were like freaking out that it was a disaster. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So again, I'm not going to make fun of him. I just think it's, you know, not a, what's up, bird gang. Also, and Breach noted that the Arizona Cardinals track record of hiring head coaches is F minus. They do have Steve, Steve Kimes gone. Monty Austin Ford is their new GM. Um, so maybe that's a, a sign of, of things to come. Austin, yeah. Austin Ford was with the Patriots. He was with the Titans. And and now he was hired as general manager uh, not too long ago. And I would imagine had a lot of say in, in bringing in Jonathan Gannon. One one would hope so. Did we um did we go through the Patriots first round draft picks that they took when Monty, Monty Osafort was the college scouting director? Because it ain't good. Yeah, but he didn't hire any coaches, so he's got a clean slate with that. I mean, I okay, whatever. I don't. Okay, we'll see. Yeah, and real quick, Bruce Arians is the only Cardinals coach since 1978 to leave Arizona with a winning record. I'm hired Bruce Arians. It's a good hire. Uh, yeah, that's that's one in 40 years. So right. Who did he hire? He hired, he hired Arians and um Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes, obviously, and then Cliff, right? Steve Wilkes, who was six and six for a much worth Carolina Panthers team, but yeah, God forbid he get more than one year in Arizona. But that's not the point of the conversation. Yeah, so, and I think go ahead, Ryan. I was gonna say Jonathan Gannon in an incredibly tough division. I don't know. I mean, the quarterback situation. The beat, the breach talent three is something else too, says in the comments. So the, here's here's the thing: the, put aside that they're in the tough division. What's the conversation that Jonathan Gannon is going to have with Kyler Murray? The first one. Uh, well, th this is exactly what I was about to go to. So I'm glad you asked that. That look, usually defensive coaches, I would say, are more disciplinarians. And uh, from what we've heard about Kyler Murray, that is maybe not a style he is going to respond to so well. And so when it seems like your head coach has already set up the clash with the starting quarterback, who you are locked to because of his contract, that seems like a small issue. Obviously, you're going to have to bring in an offense coordinator that Kyler Murray uh, really, really, really likes. And that first conversation look is, look, Kyler, I know you got this contract, but I'm in charge. And, uh, you know, you're going to show up to meetings. You can do your homework. And we want you out in this field. We want to get you out there as quickly as possible. And we want to succeed with you. But, you know, if, if you don't follow what I do and then and I'll be ready to move on in two years. I guess maybe not do that because you don't want to threat them. But mm. no, why not? What do you have to lose? This team's terrible. Do, um, does this hire concern you? And I don't want to. You know, no. Why would it concern you? Uh, the second half of the Super Bowl in which his team got completely gashed by the by the. Kyle Shanahan got his doors blown off with the Falcons as the offensive coordinator. I don't think anyone wants to say that Kyle Shanahan he, what is not prepared to be coached. What? what? 28 to 3? He he had the 28, buddy. He didn't allow the They other. lost because of the, some of the play calls. Because of the defense. No, I'm there were play so, calls in the second half that people called out Kyle Shanahan for. 
it was like three or four bad calls, but that's not a whole entire Super Bowl of bad calls of giving up 38 points. I'm going to side with Brinson on this one. It's sort but, of the Matt Patricia thing where like he, you knew he was going to be the Lions hire and he just gets absolutely obliterated by Nick Foles. Well, no, and, but no, to Brinson's no, no. point. The, the Matt Patricia defenses, they weren't even that good in New England. Jonathan Gannon did a fantastic job this year. And you could argue that if the if the, the edge rushers weren't slip sliding all over the place, maybe the outcome's a little different. But I have zero concerns about Jonathan Gannon having a bad 30 minutes of football. But to Brinson's point, I think he's saying that, look, after what Andy Reid's offense did to Jonathan Gannon's defense, that Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan are kind of sitting there rubbing their hands together. Like, ha, ha, we can we can beat this defense. Uh, we can design some plays. We're smart offensive minds. Uh, and we like this hire because this makes the Cardinals more beatable. So, like, I do understand, definitely understand. If, if so two quarters of football versus. They scored, they scored on every drive in the second half after he didn't adjust to what the Chiefs were doing. So offense. what are you waiting the final two quarters of the season versus the, the, the previous 17 times four quarters of the season where they were very, very good? I mean, I'm waiting it pretty heavily. Okay. Well, thank you for your honesty. I have zero concerns about that. Okay. I have more concerns about my bigger concerns are how's Kyler Murray going to fit into this, especially wow. is that breach as breach. And notes, I think that's the biggest concern. Gannon's is probably not one to put up with a lot of silliness as a defensive coordinator. I think that's the bigger issue. It sounds like you're all in on Jonathan Gannon and the Cardinals next year. You're picking them to win the division, right? Um, who wins more games, Jonathan Gannon or Shane Steichen? I'll go with Shane Steichen. They play in a terrible division, but they don't have a quarterback. The Cardinals play in a good division and have a quarterback who is an uh, angry little elf. But maybe, also maybe. probably won't be on the field till like week four. Or October, yeah, October. So then you have to go sign a veteran quarterback. Uh, and then if that quarterback starts off 4-0 and, and Kyler Murray's back and you're Jonathan Gannon, this turns into Ryan Fitzpatrick that, and Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay a few years what ago. What if that quarterback's Matt Ryan? Oh, man. Oh, man. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I, also, I, I also think it's worth um, – <clears throat> excuse me uh, – Let's see who John McGinnon hires as his OC, too. Like, that matters. And, like, what's Shane Steichen? Is Shane Steichen going to call plays? You know, I, don't know. He, I don't think he's, he's gone down that road. Okay. Like, all that stuff matters a lot because, you know, we saw, again, Nathaniel Hackett had, in theory, a great setup, but, you know, calling the same plays. And the other thing that I talk about all the time is that these guys, are, I, I'm not worried about the final 30 minutes of Jonathan Gannon's Eagles career, but both those guys are great coordinators, and I don't know if they're good at commanding a room. I mean, the first little clip there that Billy showed us of, uh, the hype talk from Sean, um, Jonathan Gannon. I mean, I give it like a B, but that is at the end of the day. What does that mean? Um, yeah, I feel like we ranked all the job openings a month ago or before anybody was hired, and I think we all had the Cardinals at fourth or fifth. It just seems like the most difficult situation to succeed. But more of the power to him because if the Cardinals are good next year, or even if it takes two or three years, if they're in the playoffs within three years, then Gannon's doing a great job. So I don't think anyone's expecting this team to go 13 and four next year. And I think that's the one luxury with taking this job is there's not a lot of pressure in year one. Yeah. Um, Steve Wilkes thought that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's uh, anything else on, uh, what'd you give it a B? I'll give, yeah. I give B sounds about right. The hot oh, brother. This guy stinks. Who stinks, Billy? Revisionist history. He's mad about the Super Bowl. That's all. Gannon stinks. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> He's on the Billy Brown. What, what would you give it, Wilson? Wait, 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 wait. What? Why you hate Gannon? He's mad about the final 30 minutes. What do I give the hire? Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Who who were the other candidates after Shane Sykin had been hired by the Colts? 
that were left. They had three finalists. They had Kafka and the enemy. Who the 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 Cardinals? Yeah, was the enemy the other one or no? Uh, no. Rumo. Yeah, you mentioned him at the top of the podcast that I was lucky because the Bengals get to keep. Oh, and Arumo. I've I've had so many names floating through my head. So, that, just, so it was him and Kafka. Who's personally? Uh, yeah, no, I'd be just because I have no idea. I don't hate the hire, and I, I'm not against having a disciplinarian in there. And I think if he's, I would just have a chance to see plus. It feels like calling defense is less cumbersome than calling offense during a game. I could be wrong, but in terms of game planning during the week, you are still on the defensive side. But I think the most important thing, and maybe he needs to be all over the place to to make sure he's sort of micromanaging <laughs> Kyler Murray's time during the week. But if he can get the best out of Kyler Murray, then obviously it's an A plus, even if he doesn't call one single play. But I'll, I'll go B, not knowing anything right now. I'll go C plus. I'll change my revisionist. I'll go right in the middle with a B minus. Smart. All right. B minus saves you from criticism when if he ends up being good. C plus, yes. you're dead. Right. <laughs> Let's take a break and when we come back a little deep dive into Super Bowl 57. Next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So, some deep dive items. And this is actually a perfect segue from Jonathan Gannon to um, the Philadelphia Eagles defense and the Arizona, excuse me, the, the Kansas City Chiefs offense. I noticed that um, there's some you know, some film stuff going on about this. So the two jet sweep, the two fake jet sweeps where the, where the Chiefs scored, they ran uh, one. They 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 ran Canaries Tony in from the right side of the offensive uh, of the offensive formation, had him stop and then turn and jump back out, and then they did the same thing with Sky Moore on the left side. They did this in the red zone twice, and it completely fooled the Eagles. Cannon is the David Bladder coaches Billy. You are operating a professional like YouTube account. <laughs> Settle down here. <laughs> it's trash. Um, it does feel like, and and I, I saw Sports Info Solutions uh, tweeted this out, but it was like only on three percent since like 2018. Even you know, going back to featuring Tyreek Hill, had the had the uh, Chiefs under Andy Reid use those fake jet sweeps. They almost always run the jet sweeps the whole way through. However, they did do it twice, and to score two touchdowns in the Super Bowl, and there was no adjustment from the Eagles. Is that a concern? Looking back on that, no. Breach, what's your one word answer? Then you can expound. Yes. All right, I didn't think that's a curse. You fall for some, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. I don't know what I'm doing. The field. They were confused. Twice. I don't know what I'm doing, Wilson. That is my take there. In the Super Bowl, on the biggest stage, and you fall for the same play, tw- same play design twice. I mean, that is not a great look. Um, and, you know, that's a huge reason because it was Sky Moore had the other touchdown. So we're talking yeah. about. This wasn't like one touchdown was in the fourth quarter and one was in the first quarter and they were so far apart you weren't even thinking about. These touchdowns were three minutes apart. They were on consecutive possessions. They are, hey, look, remember what they just did to us uh, two minutes ago? Maybe watch out for that, especially since they're running a similar motion and the Eagles just falling for it twice is 
I mean, it's not a great look for the person who was in charge of that team's defense. I think the concern, I think Greg Olson talked about this. By the way, Greg Olson did a fantastic job. He and Kevin Burkhart both, they were actually fun to listen to. Yep. I don't I don't say that all the time about listening to, to folks uh, call football games. Um, but I think Greg Olson mentioned this, and I could be wrong because I haven't come back and watched the game, but the concern is typically on those sorts of routes, and it's very rare that you see routes like that, um, is that you don't want to get beat to the other corner had Kadarius Tony just kept running a little shallower crossing route. And then you're already a step behind as as the guy in man coverage. So you're trying to beat them to get the inside leverage on those routes, whether it's Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony. And then when they put on the brakes and go in the opposite direction because they're fantastic athletes, you're SOL because there's no one out there to, to help you. So I, I think those routes aren't atypical and that they never happen. But I would imagine, and Brinson, I think you mentioned a second ago, how often they ran those routes during the course of the season. I would imagine the shallows are run much more often with much more success than than sort of the routes that we saw go for touchdowns. Again, it's not great. It's not a great look. This isn't why the Eagles lost the Super Bowl. I thought this these are one of the two best. These teams played one of the most evenly matched Super Bowls that I can see. Brinson. Yeah, I'm just reading that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, this is from, I saw this in a couple different places, but apparently... During Kansas City's team meeting the night before the Super Bowl, I'm reading this from Michael Silver on ValleySports.com, OC Eric Bieniemy showed a Trevor Lawrence to Jamal Agnew scoring pass for the Jaguars' October 2nd game against the Eagles and told his players, if they play it this way, we are scoring. In other words, the Eagles were beat by the Jaguars on this type of play and had no preparation for... No, I'll push back. It happened against the Jaguars, and you don't watch every single snap against every other team you played. You watch what the team that you're playing does tendency-wise. So, yeah, they got beat on that play. But I think still the concern is you don't want to get beat on the shallow and have whoever's in coverage, I don't know if it was Epps or someone else, playing trail, and then you you get beat by five yards. It's not it's not great. Look, I, like, I don't know what the answer is how to defend it properly, but I I take what you're saying, and that's a credit to, to Andy Reid for finding a way to, to – to, to Well, but it. I think the point here is that, you know, after the Kadarius-Tony touchdown happens, that was the first one – the defense goes to the sideline and says, okay, if that happens again, how do we yeah. stop that? Because we just got killed yeah. there. And you look in, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the, the play from the Jaguars game uh, with Agnew. Um, and it sim- just a very similar play where you had a guy moving in and then go back out and just wide open. <laughs> Nobody's covering them. It looked like the Eagles were in a slightly different coverage there, but same exact result with some- nobody near them. And so... That's the thing is that someone should have on that sideline after the Tony touchdown, they should have been saying, hey, look, how did this guy get wide open and how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? Because there's still 12 minutes left in this game. Yeah, and here's what um, uh, Chad Henney said uh, via against Silver. We saw that when you fake the jet sweep, they'd bump a guy and pass him off and bubble over the top. And you can see them doing exactly that here. So we thought it was there for the taking. So basically, like, they see him coming, you pass him off, but then somebody's going to scramble to get back to him quickly, and it just makes it really, really difficult. Yeah, uh, I, I think. I mean, I think that speaks more to Andy Reid being a genius uh, than Jonathan Gann being overmatched. But they picked it up from Doug Peterson, who used it against Jonathan Gannon's defense, as you're seeing over and over again on the screen. They, they picked it up from Andy Reid's former assistant, who also coached the Eagles. That makes this thing come full circle, which yeah. is insanity. So Andy Reid used a play that he got from Doug Peterson, who won the first Philly Super Bowl with <laughs> the Eagles and replaced Andy Reid, who was fired by the Eagles, only to give Andy Reid the play that would eventually beat the Eagles in the second Eagles Super Bowl. So many layers. The guy who replaced Doug Peterson. That is like a whole entire story. That's a, that is, so. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's Tyrese. What percentage of the loss are you putting on those two plays then? I mean, it's two touchdowns in a three-point game. 
No, percentage-wise, those plays. That's all. Uh, like eleven uh, percent. Okay, no, that's fine. I'll give you eleven. Just like the the Tony touchdown, or you know, one of those touchdowns was set up by the longest punt return in Super Bowl history. So if you don't give that up, maybe the Chiefs don't even get down there. By so the way, I there's plenty of other you. mistakes. I missed you on the recap podcast because I wanted you to crucify Sipos for missing six games and then hitting line drive punts all over the field because that was his fault. I think you would agree. And that's also a coaching thing that I would have brought up on the podcast because yeah. if you're if you're Nick Sirianni and your choices are Brett Kern, who hasn't punted well but hasn't done horrible, and Sipos, who actually had a good season but is coming off uh, like a just messed up ankle and hasn't played in eight weeks. Uh, you know, you've seen him in practice, but I might stick with the guy who has played. Um, and so that was an interesting decision, and it totally backfired. If I'm serious, who, who thought changing punters the night before the Super Bowl would backfire? And here we go. It's not as big of a talking point as it probably should have been. Well, that's why I think Debo probably mentioned it. If I'm Sirianni, I'm just blaming the special teams coach for that. That was his decision. <laughs> that is that's the head that's going to roll sometime this week. Yeah, the uh, looking at it, the Kadarius Tony punt was the second highest uh, in terms of. Uh, expected uh, or or points added, like um, like like moving the win prop. Philly went from forty one percent win probability to twenty two percent on that one. The uh, breach you you probably didn't know this, but there never been a punt return in Super Bowl history. They were that close. Never been a punt return for a touchdown. The one thing I will say is that I do feel like Sipos actually choked on the punt because his only other punt in the game was a fifty seven yarder. So yeah. in that situation to kick a low line drive that only went 38 yards. Oh man. It, Cause you know, people don't call out punters for choking much, but it felt like a choke. You felt like you had to right there, I guess. I'm sure. He probably slipped in the field or something. Um, uh, that's possible. You know what? If he said that, then I would believe it. And then I take back everything I said about the choke. If I were, <laughs> I would be saying that personally, <laughs> no, even if it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you talking about that. Uh, breach. How about some takeaways from inside the stadium where you were watching the Super Bowl live? Were you in the press box or Ox press box? Or uh, I was in the Ox box, which was I had front row on the 200 level in the end zone. So yeah, those were they better views or not quite quite as good views as the Miami Super Bowl, which was KC San Francisco that we were at. Well, you know the problem with the end zone is that you don't have a good depth perception when the ball's going the other way. Horrible. And so yeah, so that's difficult. But when the ball is coming toward you, or uh, you know, Harrison Butker's game-winning field goal was kicked in my direction. Oh, uh, so there are a lot of things that are positive. So I would say overall, it's a good spot. Where to was sit. the AJ Brown touchdown catch? Uh, that was in my end zone. Ah. All all the action happened down there. I mean. Like everything happened down. Well, let me ask that. you this because when we were watching the what's that? The hold call, the holding call by Brad Barry happened coming toward that end zone. Wow. Well, that's then then it feels like an incredible experience if you get everything coming your way. Right, right. I, I, used, to have, I used to have season tickets in the end zone. It was like, like some, like you would be like loving life for like, you know, what, get, what team is this? The NC State. Oh, right. Did uh, they win the Super Bowl yet? No, but I do agree with Brent. I, I like end zone seats. I'm a fan of end zone seats. I, I like the. What I was going to ask you is that when we were sitting there in the end zone for the KC San Francisco Super Bowl, the Tyreek big catch went the other direction, and you saw sort of saw it unfold on the AJ Brown touchdown. At what point did did it feel like AJ was open? Because I don't think he was really ever open, and obviously he made that catch over Trent McDuffie. Never. I mean, watching it in person, it just felt like Jalen Hurts is like, I'm going to throw up to my guy and. Let him make a play because at that point I was there were some people saying oh what a throw by Jalen Hurts and I felt like that was just a quarterback throwing the ball up and trusting AJ Brown yeah yeah just yeah AJ Brown just I would say it'd be better when that ball peaked in the air I thought he had about sixty uh, percent chance of catching it it was Six just zero like, oh. 
Yeah, six zero. Like that's pretty high. Up the twist and turn. Well, I mean, like ninety percent would be wide open, and the yeah. ball is clearly coming right toward him. He was gonna have to move. Just all these things. Uh, yeah. So that one. It was a blind. It was a blind chuck into the air by 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 Hertz, and he let AJ Brown do what AJ Brown does. And there we go. Of course, Billy says great throw by Jalen. But I r- real quick. So this you would think. Phoenix was hosting its first Super Bowl. Uh, number one, I'm sure you guys saw this online, that, that one of the Eagles buses was late to the game by about 20 minutes. And I'm pretty sure we can blame this on Guy Fieri because he threw his Flavortown tailgate and it was free. And there was so it cost so much traffic. It, I mean, take whatever what? normal Super Bowl, Super Bowl traffic is and like triple it. I mean, it was absurd how many cars were trying to get into Flavortown to go to this tailgate. And so... Yes, Ryan. Where was Flavortown in relation to the stadium? Uh, across the street. Oh, like, I see. <laughs> and so, like, you know, if you have a police escort, they can't help if all the cars are in standstill traffic. Because uh, Was it, like, free parking? Uh, I mean, there were parking lots set up all over, and there's... I, I saying, like, if you went to Flavortown, it was free to get in. You probably could just pull in and park. Right, yeah, I'm not sure where everyone parked because I didn't, like, get over that area because it was just too much going on. Um, and then another issue was that the toilets at the stadium were flooding. Um, uh, there was not this, great. Saw a couple tweets um about uh women who were in the women's restroom and then in the restroom near us, the urinals were getting a little high where you were afraid to go to the bathroom because you know you don't want it overflowing. And then there was another part where people got stuck in the one concourse in the end zone. So where they built the auxiliary press box, it left a thin concourse that wasn't that wide, and it, it, the traffic jam got so bad that people were literally stuck there for about 40 minutes. And uh, Eagles fans were start just ch- chanting, let us through, let us through. <laughs> then we heard some F-bombs. There was an F-bomb chant. I mean, it got pretty crazy. Uh, I heard they were do- chanting, lock you up. Uh, <laughs> they might have been doing that, talking to me. Um, and then Brinson and I usually walk around the stadium. This year, not really anything notable, except I ran into Roger Goodell. He's in a golf cart being taken to, you know, like the VIP area. There's the point at you. Well, he, he's so, else, but yeah. there was a guy behind me who goes, F you, Goodell, except not F. And it was an Eagles fan. He goes, you suck. You're the worst commissioner ever of anything, not just football. And it was actually like kind of funny. And uh, I think that Goodell's like, come on, man. Come on. We're at, there's kids around. You shouldn't be hey, saying that. See that guy. And no, he didn't think it was you, right? I'm not going to. All my passes will be revoked for the rest of the time. Like, sorry, breaches credentials denied. Everyone you else saw you tweeted out a Burrow jersey. Any other Bengals jerseys you saw? Burrow jerseys were everywhere. Uh, way more than I thought. Maybe it's because some Bengals fans prematurely bought Super Bowl tickets and yeah. didn't feel like selling them, went to the game. I saw two Bobby Boucher jerseys, which I thought was very interesting. So that was just kind of all the pregame, the pre-game. stuff. Let me ask you this, and it, uh, and maybe this isn't even the answer. Aside from the, the final game-winning kick, what was the most exciting play you saw coming your way? I have a guess, and then you tell me. I'll tell you if you're right or not. There were so many that happened that, uh, I mean, A.J. Brown play was absolutely crazy, and that came right in that end zone. The punt return, I would say. The punt return was coming into my end zone, and it looked like you know, I almost started doing something else because, you know, he cuts right into four Eagles players, so you're just, like, going to keep typing. And then you hear the crowd, and you look straight up, and now he's moving, uh, you know, to the other side of the field, and he's got a whole line of Chiefs, and it's like, Oh my God, this is going to be the first punt return. And I, you know, my bold prediction was a special teams touchdown. I was going mm-hmm. nuts in my head. I'm cheering inside going, score touchdown. <laughs> and then of course, you know, total circus starting at the 10 yard line, he drags it down to the five. And that was just bonkers. Did you get your camera out? Did you get your camera phone out? 
I, I did not get that play because it was just, it happened so fast. What about, this is my guess for what it should have been. The Patrick Mahomes scramble on the last, last drive. Yeah, that was insane just because you could kind of see it happening where Mahomes, and that's the other thing about the end zone because you can see the plays develop. And so you kind of saw the whole, and there was just enough. And, you know, you're like, Mahomes is on a bum ankle. Is he actually going to do this? And he just kind of sprinted and took off. And how that guy ran 26 yards, I have no idea. Like, crazy. watching it live, I don't know how he did it. Watching 10 replays, I don't know how he did it. That was probably, that was the most entertaining run in the sense that I thought he was going to tackle at 15. And then he just kept going and, and gets 26 and wins the game. Did you have any sense live? I don't, you're probably watching Twitter the whole time, so you probably didn't that way. But that people were slipping around on the field? Oh, I mean, it was everywhere. You could absolutely tell uh, that people were slipping around. And I, because I actually wrote a story before the Super Bowl that the Chiefs complained about the turf at the stadium in week one. And the NFL was like, well, this is not going to be a problem because we're bringing in a special field for the Super Bowl. Because that's how Harrison Butker, he missed four weeks this season because he injured his ankle slipping on a kick in that stadium. Oh, wow. Different so, grass, by the way. Worse grass. Right, different. right. It is natural grass. I think a lot of people on Twitter thought it was turf, but it, it, it is natural grass. It was kind of pieced together and grown over like over a year. It took yeah, to grow it. Slipping, it ain't turf, guys. It's like if people like not you. Right. Like if people, if people are falling down injured, it's turf. If people are slipping, right. it's grass. Do you know how much yeah. they spent on that? I read a story the other day after the fact. How much they spent on that grass? Breach Eight hundred thousand. You jerk. Yes, correct. That's a lot of money. Well, and so that's the thing is that this is a Super Bowl field. You can't have it look like a giant slip and slide, and that's essentially what was happening out there. And it was just, I mean, it's pretty evident that I mean, you'd see players slip and the crowd would groan at some of the slips as they were so bad there was mm. a play where i thought jake elliott almost broke his ankle on a kickoff yeah um and that was where it was like okay well that's how harrison butker got hurt this is just a horrible horrible look why are we playing the super bowl on this field stop the game get a new field but they didn't do that i didn't ask uh debo this this morning when he was producing the the stocking podcast with me and sully do you debo actually did mention actually um when we were doing the with the first pick podcast later that he regrets spending that money but do you regret going to the game last year breach even though your team lost oh no zero percent no i don't regret it at all i i was actually both teams the Bengals and the eagles played great games it's not like you went there and you lost 65 to nothing or whatever well i felt like i could have been a therapist for billy and debo and just saying that i mean if it's a great game you feel good about it it went down to the wire was two good teams and you're sad that night, but I think maybe when Debo looks back on it in a week, he'll be like, you know, I'm still mad they lost, but I'm glad I went because I got to see one of the best Super Bowls ever played. Right. And that's how I feel like Debo. Maybe I'll have to call Debo and, and kind of talk him off the ledge here. Speaking of sort of uh, reflecting several you know, days later, 48 hours after the fact, how do we feel about the Bradbury hold? Wilson? Oh, I thought you were asking... Um... One of our Eagles supporters. No, Billy, Billy's opinion is irrelevant. <laughs> we we know Billy's. Billy winched about it for 20 minutes. I feel the same way. And I think the at the time I was trying to be middle of the road about it. And I understand the frustration and the timing and the lack of consistency and all the crap we get angry about. Because um, Breach, we talked about early in the, I think it was the third drive for the Chiefs. It was third and eight. Juju got held, got turned around by Bradbury. There was no call. Juju was angry, but there was no call. And you just go punt. And that's what happens there. Um, so the consistency could have been better. But I think when Pereira, Blandino, um, Bradbury says, I oh, was trying Jeffers. to get away with it. Who else? Uh-oh. <laughs> Who else? Jeffers, the ref. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, Jeffers, of course, he ain't going to say nothing else. Um, 
No, but, but I thought he did a good job explaining it in the, uh, the, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. Now, could Juju have caught the ball? That doesn't matter. I don't think by the letter of the law, I don't think he would have caught it, but I didn't, it also wasn't my team. I would imagine you'd have been angry if you were a Bengals fan. Well, no, cause we asked him the same question last year on the Logan Wilson Cooper cup play. And I was just like, uh, you know, the Bengals got away with the pass interference on the 75 yard touchdown. I feel like for the most part, oh, officiating right. calls yeah. even themselves out. And that's how I feel. My feeling on this one was that this is like you live in a neighborhood where the speed limit's 35 and you drive to work 39 every day. And uh, like the last day of the month, the cop pulls you over going 39 to 35. And you're right. just like, I literally drive 39 every day, bro. What are you pulling me over for? He's like, sorry, you broke the speed limit. And so by the letter of the law, you can't argue with him because you broke the law. But you're also like, but you didn't give me the ticket all the other days. And so it just seems like, that it, you know like you can't argue because it was there was a hold no matter how big or small it was should they have called it there eh, i don't know I, I think one of the things i thought ross tucker made a good point about this too is like and, and and now look again it's like so james bradbury they've called this game this a certain way the entire time so when he's thinking when he makes that hold or when he made when he sort of you know it's a veteran play james bradbury i believe is an all pro or at least pro bowl uh quarterback this this season like he's a he's been a good player for a while um, when he made that play, he was, it's sort of like to, to add on to your, your, your point breach. It's like, you've been, you've driven past this cop eight times and he's like, not pulling you over for doing nine over. And then all of a sudden he's like, pulls you over the last day of the month for going nine over. And you're like, bro, really? Yeah. But the last time you're, you, you're waving beers out of the sunroof and you took your top off. <laughs> no, I mean, it wouldn't like, it wouldn't like, no, that would be if you tackled the receiver. Yeah. Like i'm not i'm a, I'm a lot less mad about it than i was uh when it happened i think i, you know, I think hearing james bradbury saying look i held him and he called yeah him. it's mean, hard I, to sort of push back from that if you're not, yeah conspiracy. so i said this on the on the post game show breach when you were doing whatever you were doing not not doing the podcast but do you remember one of my bold predictions about the officiating uh what was it carl sheffer's crew averages 13. Oh penalties, yeah, the penalties a game. penalties. I said there'll be probably half of that, but one will be controversial and perhaps game deciding. Oh. Eight really? total penalties. The last one was I the GG. Remember you seen that. Good home, home run by Wilson. How about you? All right, let's move on. <laughs> Enough back patting of Wilson. We no, all agree that no screwed over. Billy's like complaining in the comments and he's like still upset about it. So, yeah, you're an Eagles fan. All Eagles fans are upset about it. Well, let me ask one more question since we're Wasting time. Billy was more upset, Breach, about Jalen Hurts' fumble that in the first half that led to the run back by Nick Bolton that made it 14-14, I believe. They still were up by 10 at the half, but he says if you don't fumble there, even though Jalen Hurts played one of the best games in human history at the quarterback position, then you're not worried about the, the Bradbury thing. Where are you on that? On what? On oh, Jalen Hurts' fumble. On the Jalen Hurts' fumble being a huge uh, it, was, it was a huge play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, if you're giving Jalen Hurts a grade for the game, you can't give him an A plus because he literally gave up a touchdown. I don't care what. He but his plus minus yards. His plus minus was four, I think, in terms of he scored five touchdowns, right? You right? you lost the game by three yards. Your quarterback gave up a touchdown. Like, there's no Jalen Hurts played an absolutely phenomenal game. But like you, you have to count that into whatever rating you have created to assess okay. how he did this game. I mean, tough graders. this, this is, well, he didn't even get a hit. The ball just fell out of his hands. This was just, <laughs> I mean, it was literally the dumbest mistake you could have in the Super Bowl. And the guy who played super on every other play literally. did it. So, I mean, you have to take it into account. 
but it's not but what yeah, they lost. They weren't it's not, awesome. they, it's not like, what they lost. It's not what they lost. You can't give up a touchdown as the quarterback. You just. I mean, well, it was sort of like um, what was the the Mahomes had the same one against the, the yeah Bengals, the week right? before against the yeah. I mean, and they won right. Now. right and so he won that like if they don't win that game then we're probably looking back at that I mean like did Mahomes blow that game that, they, was that was that when was that that was late was that the third that was quarter fourth maybe? quarter I think. fourth quarter okay. she's taking the lead it was like oh boy here's yeah. trouble for the Bengals and all of a sudden Mahomes just gives it to him oh one last special teams thing that I wanted to point out because you weren't here to talk about it breach so the Chiefs scored the go-ahead touchdown make it 38 35 eight seconds to go and they squib kicked it. What do you think of that? Uh, I mean, that was that was it, great. It, it, what it, are you no, no, I I liked it. But when you're the Eagles, you just fall down because you want to give your team as much time as possible. Like there's they lost for instance, for instance, for instance yeah, game for theory. If the other team squibs it, that <laughs> you also don't know where the ball's going to bounce. So like somebody further up can hit it, and as soon as you touch it, you need to fall down because if you fall down with eight seconds left, which is how much time was on the clock when Bucker made it, nice. you have time for two plays. And with six seconds, it's a little dicey. You're probably only getting one, two if you're lucky. I would bet Gainwell heard a get out, get out for the sidelines because he started to run for and he, he lost four seconds. Because if he, if you even if you get down with seven seconds, you probably have two plays. At least they had the, uh, I think he threw the 30. You know, we, we're talking about the special teams coordinators, not water. I, I feel like that's one of those plays that everybody has to be on the same page as far as the Eagles return team. And then obviously, you know, their, their punt coverage team didn't also, do great. I also don't hate the idea if you're um, Kenneth Gainwell, like just don't feel that. And let it see if it like it was there's somebody there's somebody behind him, right? Yeah, but I mean, I mean obviously you can't give it to the Chiefs, but like if it goes out of bounds, that's it. But then if you started the ten or something, then you're really screwed. Even yes. though you have eight seconds. Yeah, I guess you gotta feel that, don't you? Yeah. Because the Chiefs didn't in the Olsen and Burkhart pointed this out, there were no defensive linemen on the field for that final play. Just all like linebackers and DBs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like they I mean, look. Dave Tobe is a great special teams coordinator. He clearly was prepared for all those big moments. Uh, he even told Greg Olson before, he's like, you know, there's never been a punt return for a touchdown. Mm. So you wonder, like, Eagles special teams. Mm. It's a three-phase game breach. That's why they're going to have three new Not coordinators. Great. That's right. Um, so what percentage of blame would you put on the special teams? Ooh. I would put more. What did you say it was 11% blame earlier? Yeah. Oh, the two. The two. Um. Catches by Tony and and Sky Moore. I would put more blame on the special teams because the Sipos punt was a huge momentum shift slash game changer for me. Breach complete game changer, right? But even that bad punt was the the punt return was on that same play. So I feel like those kind of cancel. Like I'm not docking the Eagles special teams twice for one play. I am. Uh, <laughs> and the squib is something bad punt and a bad punt block or bad bad tackling on a punt return. But the squib is something with eight seconds left where, you know, the Eagles were in desperation territory. It's not, that, not winning no matter what. Right? right. In the grand scheme of things, I'm not. Yeah. So I'd probably put it at like 8%. Because again, those defensive jet sweeps were two touchdowns. This only gave, you know, they special teams essentially gave up one touchdown. The pick six podcast lobbyists for special teams. John Breach, everybody. Well, why do you got to hate on special teams? <laughs> you um, said the boss choked, by the way. That was you. Yeah, and I'm great. That's that's a huge. They gave up a touchdown, but those those jet right. sweeps led to two touchdowns. All right, what other stuff did you guys want to deep dive on? We've been doing this for 40 minutes. And my voice is. We talked about the turf. Uh, oh, let me ask you this breach because we talked about this earlier with Sully on the post game wrap. Um, this isn't the best Super Bowl, and fair enough. Brinson has his list that comes out every year. I think we mentioned top 15, um, but 
I would argue that this has been the best quarterback play on both sides in a Super Bowl that I can remember. And the one that came to mind just off the top of my head, and I have a bad memory about the Super Bowls in particular, but the, the Falcons-Patriots game that we alluded to earlier, uh, in that game, Tom Brady threw for 466. He had an interception. Matt Ryan didn't have an interception, but he had he lost a fumble, and LeGarrette Blunt lost a fumble on the other side. Um, so that wasn't on Tom Brady. But I still think that Mahomes and Jalen Hurts were play in and play out, except the one that cost Jalen Hurts and the Eagles a touchdown better than any other pair of quarterbacks. I, I, look, it was a great quarterback duel. I think this was a top five Super Bowl of all time. Ooh, uh, ooh. Really? I don't know where you would have it. I mean, I would maybe put if you're, you know, you're talking historically, I'm sure Giants and Patriots are Giants fans. Hey, we ended an undefeated season. But if you're talking about in terms of just how exciting the game was, uh, you know, the 28 to three game, uh, the, the Russell Wilson at the one yard line game and this game to me, uh, and maybe Cardinal Steelers. Eagles, I thought Eagles, uh, Patriots was better. I mean, that was exciting. Yeah, it's probably in my top 10, but I don't know if I, I thought this was overall for all four quarters more exciting. There was never a dull moment in the Super Bowl. This yes. one, I agree. Yeah. And there were a lot of points, there was no case where it was like 10 to three with a minute left in the first half either. Like they were just throwing it was punches. Just, it was like 14 all early on. You're like, this game's going way over. Uh, and you know what? There was never a dull moment, and that includes the final play of the game when Harrison Butker kicked a game-winning field goal. So that was the one play I obviously had to film. Uh, you know, the NFL doesn't like you live filming and, and sharing stuff all the time. Uh, so that's the one play I filmed, and I was watching it again at the airport, and I'm, from my angle, I was like, oh, my God, the football went over the kicking net. That means a fan has this football and, oh. like, went home with it and so that literally was all i could think about yesterday morning so i'm searching the internet i tweeted out the footage of saying hey look some fan got a crazy souvenir uh i would i need to find this out so this is literally all i've done for the past 24 hours is trying to figure it. out who got this football i get an email from someone saying hey look this guy has been doing the rounds on australian tv the past few hours like overnight for us and i was just like is this real so he sends me a link and the guy has cell phone footage. He filmed the field goal, and you just see the ball coming at him. Shut up. Uh, I mean, it is absolutely unreal. And then uh, he it, has the football. Is it Martin uh, Martin Ortega? The guy who stole the top. Oh, no, the guy who stole Brady's jersey. No, so he gets it. A security guard is like, hey, man, you probably want to get out of here because that football yeah. is going to be a hot item. So the guy dips out. He lives in San Francisco. He did not have a ticket on Super Bowl Sunday. He works for ad agency. He worked on the Doritos commercial. Someone called him up, called him up 7 a.m. Sunday morning, said we have an extra ticket. He got on a flight at noon, got to the Super Bowl when the national anthem was being sung. And then there we go. There's our picture. If you're watching on YouTube of uh, our guy, even Dixon with the football, got to the Super Bowl when the national anthem was being sung, got the football dipped out. And uh, Ken Golden of Golden Auctions, uh, says this thing's probably worth at least $350,000, uh, but the, the NFL doesn't have the authentication mechanisms in place that like Major League Baseball does. Like They don't have a marking on the ball, but he does have the video, so that will uh, help authenticate it and make sure, I guess, that there was no switch made after he left the game because that's one thing you have to worry about if you try to sell this. He does not know if he's going to sell it, but just this whole situation. And uh, somebody else tweeted me that uh, Tommy Townsend, the holder and the long snapper, were trying to get security to get the football so it's pretty clear that I'm guessing Harrison Butker would like to have this football. Yeah, you and think? So that is where we are, is this guy, or this native Australian who now lives in San Francisco, has the game-winning field goal. Breach, let me ask you this. 
What if this had been last year? Evan McPherson caught the game, kicked the game winner. You caught it. Would you give it back to Evan McPherson, or would you need something, mm. some recompense? Uh, you know, maybe season tickets for life would probably be on there. I did text my dad though. You know, kicked three Super Bowl field goals, and I said, "Dad, uh, if you had been Butker in this situation, how badly would you want the ball back?" And you know, what would the offer be? And he's like, "I probably wouldn't pay three hundred and fifty thousand, yeah. but you know." From a team perspective, you want to offer whatever the guy wants. Does he want a sign, Kelsey, Butker, Mahomes? You know, like no. this guy probably isn't a Chiefs fan. He's just like an ad guy who like happened to get a Super Bowl ticket. Right, right. exactly. So who knows this what he wants? Way more. I mean, he caught this thing. Like, I, I'm, I'm. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. So, Brinson, I'll pose the question to you because you're a little more um, litigious. Okay. Butker signed a five-year, twenty million dollar deal. So, how much are you asking for from Harrison Butker to get the ball back? Uh, so, I look. I think. The be- I, I how dare you call me more litigious? I think that um I think that if this were me, I'm this guy and I live in San Francisco and I'm in this ad agency. I'm like I don't know I don't know what I'm asking for like unless he's a Chiefs fan because I think I'm more I'm more inclined to give it back to the team. Really? In ex- well, I mean, <laughs> oh, finish the sentence. Sorry. In exchange, you're like something that is three hair plugs for life. Miserate with you know. I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess you, you sold it. You got out of there. Like, I don't know. I, I, I take it back. I'd probably sell it for 350K. What, so what if the team offered you $150,000? Uh, if the tax is paid. Yes. And done. you get to play a round of golf with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, can I play? Can I pick somebody else? <laughs> Jesus. Who do you want to play with? Harrison Bucker? You can play with Harrison Bucker if you want yeah, to. Me and Bucker and Kelsey and Mahomes go play 18. You and who? Bucker, Kelsey, and Mahomes. Yeah. You can play 18. Round of golf at Augusta? No, not at Augusta. Brinson's okay. banned from Augusta. And they, they make you and they make you they make you pay for it since you just got 150k from the, from the Well no. Uh, just, yeah, I, I would be inclined to like not max out the the I don't know, I kind of be inclined to keep it, I think. No, because then people are trying to break into your house the whole thing. Really? Then you gotta pay three fifty thousand for security. <laughs> right. I don't think anybody's like hawking down the Super Bowl. So, Breach, I'm surprised you didn't get a chance to talk to this guy. I thought you were going to say he was Australian because he's on Australian television, but maybe because that's overnight. He is a native Australian. Oh, there right. you go. Yeah. He now oh, lives. by the way, the other reason Breach didn't talk to him, he, Breach doesn't speak Australian. That was the other concern. Breach that is a problem. I just, nobody, they don't like my accent. All right, that's all I got. That's all yeah. I got. Cool. That's all I got. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow, I guess. Forever. Uh, back forever. Uh, let us know what you do with the football in the comments. Hit smash the like button for Breach. For Wilson, I'm Brenton. We'll see you guys later.